Good morning, everyone. Say, say it one more time. Good morning, everyone. Ah, oh, excellent, excellent. So the snow is going to be gone by the time you're done here today. At least it'll stop falling. That's what I mean. There'll still be some white stuff on the ground, but uh, relax. It's going to be a nice day after all. You know, I've been doing some research on this message series on being rich, and um, if you Google it, it's interesting what comes up. I one of the first things that popped up when I punched in how to get rich or how to be rich. The, this, is, this is what came up as a video, actually, and I took some screenshots of it so I could share it with you because um, this, this guy says that you can actually make $1,843,000, uh, $43,000, uh, let me start again, see, I'm not used to that kind of money, $1,843,207.48 in just 90 days. Anybody want to sign up for that course? 90 days, and you're going to be very wealthy. And, uh, and if you, if you uh, sign up, they're going to send you the blueprints for uh, this millionaire lifestyle. Look at some of the other uh, screenshots I took. Uh, I, I love that view of the Infinity vehicle there, that SUV, uh, down, down low, and it just you know, looks like something you want to have. Uh, this woman here, she says that within 24 hours, next please, within 24 hours, uh, uh, you can make big bucks. And then, and then the next slide is... Uh, is the bank account? Look at that two, two point two or po- almost three million, two point two million dollars in your in your bank account through the quick cash system. Has anybody ever heard of the quick cash system? Anybody tried using it? I can tell you the only ones getting rich are the people who are putting that video up. And I think do we have one more slide? Is that it? Okay, back to be rich. So. He, we're constantly being bombarded by these infomercials and these, these books on how to get rich. So just to be clear, in case you're here for the first time and you're not really sure what it is that we're talking about, we're not talking about how to get rich, but rather how to be rich. And uh, i got to tell you this, that um, we, we pointed it out for the past two weeks. We here in Canada are amongst the very richest people in the world. I don't know if you knew that. But if your household income is $48,000 a year, then that puts you in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. So we understand that here in Canada, uh, here at Cross Church, we are a church of rich people. And I know some of you feel would say, Pastor Allen, I don't feel very rich. Well, I'm going to tell you in a moment just how, how, to, how, to, how to feel rich. But before I do that, let me just remind you of what we talked about last week. We said last week that it's very easy for our hope to migrate from God to our wealth. Let me say it again. It's very easy for our hope to move from God to our wealth. If you're poor, if you don't have a lot, well, obviously you can't put your hope in wealth because you just don't have it. You've got no choice in the matter. You have to put your trust in God. You have to lean on God. But the minute you start getting a bit of wealth and the minute you start getting some dollars in your bank account, the minute that you, you know, have a car, maybe two cars, and, and you're actually able to save money and put some money aside, what happens is, is that our tendency is to move our hope from God to our wealth, to our money. And so what we want to do here at Cross Church is we want to remind you that you need to keep your focus on God, that you should never put your hope in your money. In fact, we want to talk about what it means to be rich. 
We want to talk about how to be rich, just in case you ever pass that magic line where suddenly you're no longer poor, but now you're rich. Uh, quite frankly, here in North America, we're, we're not good at being rich. And we know by the statistics, the statistics tell us that we do not give a lot of money here in Canada, even though we are amongst the very, very richest people in the world. Now, before we uh, talk about, um, about how to live in this world, I just want to, I want to just tell you how you, can, how you can feel rich. The first time I really felt like I was rich was when Gloria and I paid off our house on Elgin Avenue. That's just a few streets over in Weston. We got a mortgage on our house. Some of you will remember how we were able to get that mortgage. We needed a down payment of about $2,000. And uh, you know the story. I called the, an insurance company that I put money into. It was a life insurance policy that you could borrow from. And anyways, I borrowed the $2,000. That's all I had available to me, which just happened to be enough for the down payment on the house. And just within a matter of weeks, that company that I borrowed the $2,000 from, the, out of my own insurance plan, they went bankrupt. And so the $2,000 I, it did not have to be returned, but I had enough to buy my house. Well, when I went to the bank to get the mortgage, the the banker asked, how much money do you need for property taxes? Because what we'll do is we will, we will take out a, a, an amount every month when you make your mortgage payment. So I, I told them what I thought it would be. I, I was guessing maybe $2,000. Well, as it turns out, I was about $1,500 over my, the, the, the actual property tax. And so this mortgage that was supposed to last for 20 years, it actually was reduced to about five or six years. It was incredible. And we, we paid off our house quickly. And next thing you know, we actually had money in our bank account. And I'm going to tell you, uh, Gloria and I were missionaries in Greece. We earned about $600 a month. And even, even, in, even 20, 26 years ago, that still was not very much money. When we, when, we, uh, when we moved into this brand new house on Elgin Avenue, well, it was new for us. It was 100 years old, but it was new for us. We were so excited. We didn't have a nickel to our name. We had nothing. Just, there was just nothing there. Nothing in retirement funds, nothing in our wallet, just, uh, just enough to make it from, literally from paycheck to paycheck. You see, we were, we'd put our trust completely in God. And we, uh, we just knew that we had no choice in the matter. If we're going to be in the ministry, if we're going to do God's will, then our job is to just completely trust God. So that's what we did. But now suddenly, our house is paid for, and we've got money in our bank account, and we're feeling rich. Now we had enough money that, if, if necessary, we didn't have to stay in a tent when we went to Banff. We could actually stay in a hostel. Now, I didn't say hotel. I said hostel. Gloria always called that hostile because it was, you know, it's a youth hostel, uh, almost called it a hostile. It, it, you know, for a mother with little kids, it is kind of a hostile environment. But I tell you, we felt rich because now we didn't have to stay in a tent. We, we could actually stay uh, indoors, and we had a shower across the hall from our room. And uh, by the way, that was a shower that everybody in the hostel used, but that didn't matter because when you're, when you're in the campground, it's the same thing, right? So there we are uh, feeling really, really rich, and we actually had a few hundred bucks in our bank account. We were doing well. 
Now, what made us feel rich? Because by the, by the world's standards, we were not rich. We were living on Elgin Avenue uh, in a hundred-year-old house that needed lots of renovations. People would say, well, you're not rich. But I felt rich. And why is that? I'll tell you why. Because we had margin. Because we had enough to pay all of our bills. We had enough to give to the work of God. We had enough to share with others. And we had enough to put money in our bank account. So this morning, if you're saying, Pastor Allen, I don't feel very rich, well, here's how you can feel rich immediately. Make sure that you have margin in your life. Make sure that you've got room, a buffer, if you want to call it that. And I'll talk about that more in just a few moments. But let me tell you about the second time that I really felt rich. And this was when we took a group to Zambia. We went to a place called uh, Chawala. And it really is in, literally in the backside of the, uh, of the country. Uh, you, you drive down this dirt road with massive potholes, and quite frankly, you just don't know if you're ever going to make it to your destination. In fact, uh, as we're driving to Tualo, our bus broke down, and uh, there we were in the middle of nowhere, and I thought, man, uh, there'll, be, there'll be lions coming out of the grass at any minute, and we're all goners. But thankfully, that didn't happen. God took good care of us. We arrived at this compound, the Chawala compound, where we're doing our ministry. And I'm going to tell you, folks, I never felt so wealthy in all my life because I had two pairs of shoes. I had a pair I was wearing and a pair that I packed with me. I had two pairs of pants. I had several shirts to wear. Um, I had more than, than anybody around me. And, in fact, all of our team felt that way. We ate well. Uh, what we would do because we didn't want to drink the water there and, and, you know, and have stomach problems, if you know what I mean. We went and bought buckets of water. And one day I noticed that, that the people that were living around there were all were fighting over the plastic containers that held the water because they thought they'd struck the jackpot when they actually had an empty plastic container. I tell you, we were just buying these plastic containers full of water and then throwing away the containers... And they looked at us as though we were millionaires. I felt so rich. Now, I'm telling you this to say that although you may not feel rich, the fact of the matter is is that because you live here in North America, because you live in Canada, you are, just by virtue of of living here, you are rich. And so what, what this means is that we've got to take a moment to look at how we live our lives. We've got to take a moment to examine what we do with what God has given to us. And the Apostle Paul, he uh, gives very clear instructions, and I think that these words were put in the Bible, especially for you and I. Look what it says here in 1 Timothy 6, 17. Paul says this, Command those who are rich in this present world. Now, it's interesting. He says, command those who are rich in this present world, because Paul is looking to a world that is to come. And by the way, can I just say this? Jesus says that where your money is, is where your, is where your heart is. Or where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And Jesus goes on to warn that for some of us, we're storing up treasure here on earth, but we're not storing up treasure in heaven. So Paul says this, he says, command those who are rich in this present world, because there is a world to come, not to be arrogant, not to be proud, nor to put their hope in their wealth, which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. 
So Paul is making it very clear to us, isn't it, that it's very easy for us to lean on our money rather than God. So Paul is giving us a warning. And that, this warning is for all of us here today. It's especially for us because we are, by the world's standards, we are rich in this present world. He says, make sure that your hope doesn't migrate from God to your wealth. So how do I make sure that my hope doesn't migrate? What do I need to do to make sure that my hope stays on God? Because I'm going to tell you, it's really, really difficult. And you all know that. You know how hard it is to keep your focus on God. So Paul says this in verse 18. He says, here's how you're going to do it. So he says, he says command them. Now, why is he saying command? I mean, it sounds, you know, dictatorial, but what he's, what he's, what he's concerned about is that he says, look, you've you got to give them very clear instructions so that there's no shadow of doubt of what we mean here. Make sure that they get this. So command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So let's take a look at that. Command them to do good. Now, you'll notice that Paul is not saying, command them to be good. Did you notice that? Because we understand that as Christians, we need to be good. And even if you're not a Christian, you understand that uh, being good is a good idea. You really should do that. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying, command them to do good. Because we understand that we need to be good. Command them to do good. Now, he says, command them to do good. And to what? And to be rich in good deeds. Again, he doesn't command them just to do good in an average kind of way. Because all Christians, whether you're poor or middle class or rich in income, um, wherever you're at in your life, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then folks, you are commanded to do good. But for those who are rich in this present world, Paul is saying that you need to not just do good, but you need to be rich in good deeds in fact, you've got to be above average in the good deeds that you do for others. By the way, some of you will notice that we've got, um, we've got quite a few boxes of cereal here. Some of you know what this is all about. Some of you have been sitting here this morning thinking, what on earth, why did they store cereal on the platform? Well, I'll tell you why, folks, because we are collecting this cereal for the Brooklyn School, which is just a few minutes from, from the church here. Mark Moyer called the school and wanted to know how we could help. And so the principal said that every morning there's kids that come from the community, they come to school, and they haven't had breakfast. Uh, having breakfast is just not an option for them in their homes. And so what the school does, depending, depending not on the school board, not on school funds, not on your school taxes, but depending on the community, they collect this, this cereal so that they can now feed the kids who come to school without breakfast in the morning. And the principal said that some of these kids, they don't even come with a lunch. And so what they will do is they'll, have, they'll come for breakfast, and then they'll come for lunch and have cereal again. So we were just so excited that as a church, we could bless the school and bless these kids. Now, these kids will never know anything about us. I don't know if the teachers will know anything about us. Certainly, the parents won't know anything about us. But here's the thing, folks, is that God has called us to be rich in good works. So we're gathering together this cereal so that we can bless these poor kids right here in our own backyard. In our small group a couple weeks ago, Dennis Prawn, who's a principal of one of the core area schools, 
He was telling us about the great need for coats. These kids don't have hats. They don't have mitts. They don't have, many of them don't have coats. One girl told, uh, told Dennis that the reason she wasn't wearing her winter coat is because it was so filthy and she had no way to wash it. And so what Dennis did is he, he got a hold of that winter coat of that young girl, brought it home, and uh, he got his wife to wash it, which every good husband would do. So there's, there's uh, Dennis uh, trying to take care of the needs of these kids. And I said to, to Dennis, along with the rest of our small group, I said, hey, we would like to partner with you in this. Can we help? And so, folks, you may have noticed in the atrium there's a place where you can bring your winter coats. And some will say, well, you know, I, I don't have any little kid coats or, or, or leggings or hats. Or... Listen, bring whatever you have because kids in grade 8, uh, a lot of kids nowadays in grade 8 are, the, are, are man size and, and, and some are even a lot bigger than the average man in this room in grade 8. They need coats. They need our help. And so we are partnering with that school um, in, in the core area. We're, we're, we're partnering with the Brooklyn School. Some of you will remember, if you were here two weeks ago, that we decided we were going to take up an offering for the Christian uh, Syrian refugees. They've come out of Syria, and uh, for whatever reason, I don't know it, I've, I've been doing some research, and I, could, I, I, would, I would encourage you to Google it yourself. Uh, Google Syrian Christian refugees, but don't do it right now, okay? Do it after the service, thanks. But Google that, and you will see that these Christian Syrian refugees are being passed over consistently. So we here at Cross Church, what we want to do is that we want to specifically target these Syrian Christian refugees. Does that mean we don't care about the Muslim refugees? Of course we care about them. But the point is, is that these Christians, our brothers and sisters in Christ, are being passed over. And we want to do whatever we can to bless them and to help them. And so you'll notice that there's some envelopes at the back that just says, be rich on it. If you would get one of those envelopes and make an offering to help us bless these people. That would just be so, so appreciated. Paul says, command them to do good. And he says, don't just command them to do good. He says, command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds. In other words, you need to be above average in doing good. Don't just do good, do gooder. That's really what we're, what we're saying here, uh, if, if I can say that. So, what do we know? We know this, that the more that we have, the more opportunity we have to do more than the average person. Did you know that? The more money we have, the more opportunity we have to do more than the average person has to do. I'll illustrate that. Do you know that, that most people in this world have to work five, six, and seven days a week just to feed the people in their home? Whereas here in Canada, for most of us, all we have to do is work five days a week. We get all kinds of weeks off through the course of the year for vacation. And uh, the fact is, is that for many people, many people's homes, it's just one person earning an income. And they can earn an income not just to, to feed themselves, but they can feed their wife and all their kids. And they only have to work for five days and they can feed them for seven. And not just feed them for seven, they can put a roof over their heads. They can, they can provide them with clothing. They can make sure that those kids get into hockey, into sports, or whatever it is that they want to do. The fact is this, folks. We are so rich. In five days, you can earn enough to meet all the needs of your family. Folks, this simply is just not the case in, the, in, in most of the world. In fact, it wasn't that long ago here in Canada where people had to work six days of the week 
But now we've got, we get Saturday and Sunday off, and some, some even get, get a, a Friday or Monday off, and they get paid so that they can take care of their family. Now, if you work for 50 hours a week and sleep eight hours a day, this means that you have, on average, approximately 50 to 60 hours per week where you can do whatever you want. This is unheard of in most places in the world. You've got 60 hours of disposable time at your disposal, which means in the 60 hours, you can do whatever you want. Now, this, this really has great significance when you think of what Paul is saying here. Command, though, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. The fact of the matter is, folks, is that you and I have got the time and the money to really do good works and good deeds in this world today. Do you, do you, under, do you, under, do you understand, understand that today? Because for a lot of us, we just don't have time. I don't have time for that. Well, I, I, would, I would ask you to maybe do a, a time inventory and think really about how you spend your time. How much time are you spending on your computer? How much time on your social media? Jesus gives us a very stern warning. He says in Luke chapter 12, he says, to whom much is given... Much is required. You, you've heard that verse. And so we've got to stop now and think about how we're living our lives. We've got to stop and reconsider how, not just how we're spending our money, but how, in fact, are we spending our time. Be rich in good deeds. The richer you become, the more opportunity you have to do more for more people. At least that's what Paul is saying here. Don't let all your time be consumed on yourself. Don't be bad rich people, Paul is saying. Are you a bad rich person? You say, Pastor, what's a bad rich person? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Has anybody ever heard of the Kardashians? Matt, you left. Do you watch the Kardashians? You don't, I hope. We have one who's willing to admit it. <laughs> what are the, what's the Kardashian show all about? It's a reality show where what they do is they just follow around this filthy rich family and watch them spend all their disposable time and all their disposable income. And the world looks on, and they say, and, and here's why it's so attractive to people. Here's why people watch it, because people are thinking, man, what, what would it be like if I could have that? What would it be like if I could do that? Has anybody ever heard of the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills? And what it is is all these women who, uh, now I've never seen the show, but I read, I read a little uh, snippet about it. Uh, so I guess I, I got to give that disclaimer in case I get this wrong. But basically, it's restless housewives, the real restless housewives of Beverly Hills and of Atlanta, and I don't know where else you want to go. But what do we discover about these people? They're, they're, they're a group of people who are trying to figure out how to spend their time and how to spend their money, right? That's what it comes down to. And we as Christians now look at this, and whether we are willing to admit it or not, we are influenced by these things. We are influenced by our culture. And it's really easy now for us to get our focus off of God and onto money and all the things that money can buy. We, had a, we did an interesting thing at our small group. We, we, uh, we did an icebreaker, and we asked, everybody sort of had to give an answer. What would you do if you won a million dollars? And it was interesting, as you see, you know, people just sort of relax and start thinking and dreaming about all the, the wonderful things that they could do. 
The fact of the matter is, folks, is that for many of us, though we don't maybe admit it or afraid to admit it, we're already rich, and God has given us special responsibility. The question is this, are you prepared and are you willing to share? Because here's what Paul says, he says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, watch this, and to be generous and willing to share. Now, you would think that if a person was rich, especially a Christian who is rich, you would think that the natural tendency would be to share. That's the assumption. But the fact of the matter is, is that the opposite is true. That's right, the opposite is true. Because the more money we make, the less we give. You say, Pastor Allen, I don't know what you mean. Well, let me give for you a beautiful illustration by Jesus Christ himself. In the book of Mark, Mark chapter 14, Jesus is with his disciples in the temple, and they're sitting there just opposite the, 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 the giving center. Okay, so um, I don't know exactly what that giving center looked like. Maybe it was a box, a collection box, but everybody, every Jewish person was expected to come and make a donation. So Jesus is sitting there. There's a collection box there. Here's Jesus, and Jesus says to his disciples, hey, guys, come here. Let's gather around here. Watch this. Watch this. So he's sitting there watching and watching these people giving large chunks of money, large chunks of money. And then suddenly this woman who's obviously poor, dressed poorly, she comes along, and somehow they know she's a widow. I don't know exactly how that would be, but somehow they know that she's a widow. Now, if she's a widow... Instantly, you know that she's going to be living in poverty. But this widow opens up her little bag and puts in two small coins. We call those coins now, we call them the widow's mite. That's not what they called it then. And Jesus looks at them and says, uh, this woman has given more than anybody else. And now now they're scratching their head. What do you mean by that, Jesus? Well, look at this. Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. How could this be? Those people are putting in sacks of money, sacks of coin, and this woman puts in two little coins. By the way, can I just tell you what those little coins are worth? These little coins, each of them, is equivalent to one 128th of a denarius. That's, and, and one denarius is equal to one day's wage. So this little coin she's putting in is not like half a denarius or a quarter of a denarius. It's one 128th of a denarius. And so if you break that down, each of those coins is worth uh, about six minutes worth of work. So now she's put two coins in that are worth 12 minutes worth of work. And Jesus says, she put in everything. She gave more than anybody else. So here's what you and I need to understand. Here's the takeaway today. The thing that matters to God more than anything is not the dollar amounts that you put in. The kingdom of God is not about dollar amounts. It's about percentages. This is essentially what what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, guys. If you want to know what the kingdom of God is all about, if you really want to understand what the kingdom of heaven is all about, it's about percentage giving. It's not about dollars giving. So here's what he says. He he, he says, look at this woman. Out of her poverty, she put in everything, everything she had to live on. Now, I want us to to stop and think about that for a moment. I want to close with this. Because for so many of us, when we think about 
about the percentages, which most of us don't, we stop to recognize that massive percentages of our money goes towards pleasing ourselves. It goes for our own causes, our own purposes, our own wishes, our own whims. God is calling you and I to be good stewards of what he's entrusted to us. Because for most of us, we think that what we have is ours. I got it. I earned it. It's mine to do whatever I please. So whether you're a Christian or not today, um, understand this. That for the Christian, we live by a different standard. We live by a higher standard. And the standard is this is that everything we have actually belongs to God. Now, if you're not a Christian today, then don't panic about this. But for those of you who are Christians, you need to really get this. You and I are stewards of what God's entrusted to us. And you and I are called to be good stewards of what God has entrusted to us. Now, I did a little bit of research to find out what the economic situation is in Canada. Remember, we are in one of the richest countries of the world, and here's what I discovered. The Financial Post says this. Watch this. This is going to blow your mind. The richest country, in the, one of the richest countries in the world, watch this, almost 50% of Canadians polled said that they were living paycheck to paycheck. That if a paycheck didn't come in, then they would find it very difficult to to meet their financial obligations if it was delayed by just one week. Now, we're in a really, really rough situation. What's going on here? Well, we'll discuss that in just a moment. They say that the worst place, the worst places in Canada right now for people living from paycheck to paycheck is actually British Columbia, Ontario, and Atlantic Canada. So, Folks, for those of you who don't like living in Winnipeg, there's an upside here. We're doing best, better than B.C., Ontario, and Atlantic Canada. This past week, I was talking to a fellow who actually just moved to B.C., and I said, how's it going there? He says, oh, pastor, it's tough. I said, well, what do you mean? He says, well, you know what B.C. stands for? I said, yeah, it means British Columbia. He goes, no, it actually means bring cash. He said, it's that tough here right now. It's really, really tight. The fact is, folks, is for many of us here today, you're... You're bringing home a good paycheck. Your household income is way over 48000 and yet you're struggling. 75% of those polls said that, they only, uh, that they've only put aside less than 25% of what they will need for retirement. And some 36% of working Canadians said that they felt overwhelmed by their level of debt, and 12% doubted that they'll ever be debt-free. So folks, you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, we should, in theory, be exempt from that, those kinds of statistics. But here's what I know. I know that most of us here today are struggling in one or maybe all of those areas. So I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to give you some very simple instruction that I hope will change your life. You and I need to learn to pay attention to the percentages. What do I mean by that? Well, you need to stop and consider how you spend your money. You need to consider what percentage of your income you're going to live on. You need to consider what percentage of your income you're going to save. And you need to consider what percentage of your income that you are going to give away. Now, here's what I've said many, many times over the years. I've said that those who tithe, those who are consistent tithers, consistent givers, are usually better money managers, are usually the best money managers. Here's why. 
Because if you're never thinking about the percentages, then what's happening is that you're just blowing through the money and you're not thinking for one minute where it's going to. But those who take the time to stop and think, man, if I'm going to give 10% to the work of God, then that means that I'm going to have to start considering how I spend all my money. I can tell you right now, if you pre-decide that you're going to think through how you spend your money, then it's going to revolutionize your life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What's he saying? He's saying what you need to do is you need to get a grip on what it is that God has given to you, and you need now to be a good manager of your funds. And the first thing you need to do is you need to understand that as a Christian, I'm talking to Christians now, that as a Christian, your job is to be a giver. Because that is what best reflects the nature and the essence of God. You need to predecide how you're going to spend your money. Now watch this, and I'm going to close. People who choose to give 10% or some percentage, they organize their spending around their giving so that they're more disciplined in their spending. Now you're thinking about how you spend your money, because most people don't. If I want to get a coffee, I just go get a coffee. If I want to get Tim Hortons three times a day, four times a day, five times, I'll do that. In fact, I know one guy who's got his, he's got his credit card connected to the Tim Hortons so that every time he wants to get something, it just automatically comes off. It's painless. Or pain, yeah, painless, but in the end, it's very painful as he gets the bill at the end of the year. Thousands of dollars on Tim Hortons. But if you're giving 10%, you're stopping to consider how you're spending and now you're being disciplined. And what happens next is that you become more thoughtful, less, thought, less, less uh, thoughtless. You're actually in less debt. The next thing that happens is that you have more savings. And I, I, I mentioned that word this morning. You've got margin in your life. Listen, when you've got margin in your life, that's when you begin to be stress-free. And then finally, you're more content you actually believe that your life matters, that you can actually make a difference in this world. And it's all about the percentages. It's all about thinking about how you use what God has entrusted to you. And I'm going to tell you this, folks. If you begin to live this way, whether you're a millionaire or not, I can guarantee you, you will feel rich. Let's pray. Would you stand with me? Father, thank you for your presence here. Thank you for your power at work in our lives. We pray now, Father, that you would give us the grace and give us the wisdom to live the way you've called us to live. For those of us who are Christians here today, there's very clear instructions. You have called us to be stewards of what's been entrusted to us. You've called us, O oh God, to be stewards and to especially be generous. So help us, Lord, to start thinking about these percentages and how we spend our money. God, so that we can get margin in our lives again, so that we can get rid of the debt, so that we can start being generous to those around us. And then, God, then we know, then we know we will feel rich. We will be rich. So, God, we commit ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me. Tell the person beside you, you're rich.